1: This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from City's Week. It's your club and this is your show.
2: Good job we've got an international break to gather our thoughts and take a breather after that game at Stamford Bridge last weekend. We're going to need every minute of this week's Blue Moon podcast to try and make sense of that display. So take a deep breath, everyone, and get ready to relive the key moments of Manchester City's first four-all draw since the year 1950. Sure, there were mistakes, but City kept coming back and going in front after a setback. Then again, every time they got in front, the setbacks were often self-inflicted. Newton's third law of motion right there. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Also on this week's show we're going to take stock in the title race it's just under a third of the way through the season and two points separate the top four we'll hear from a Liverpool Arsenal and a Spurs fan on how they're all feeling plus we'll assess where City are at in comparison as Guardiola's side narrowly leads the way as the winter run begins I'm David Mooney and helping me understand everything that I got so irrationally angry about on Sunday is from Sporting News Dom Farrell hello and City fan Chris Higgybottom. Hello there. Hello, hello. Um, so, how have you have you both been able to, to deal and process with everything that happened on Sunday? or Are you still working through it? Dolly, you uh, you were there, weren't you? You were covering the game.
3: Yeah, I, I mean that that's kind of sort of my job, but I'm not sure I really managed it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah, I was there on Sunday, and um, but during the week, I'd, games I'd sort of done remotely off the telly were the Tottenham one, Chelsea four mayhem, and then the. Uh, Copenhagen versus Manchester United game in midweek, so I, I have a graveyard of discarded intros from this week. <laughs> 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 an it's elephant, like... an elephant graveyard of intros. So yeah, it was. Um, so when when that game started, just going mad. So from a first point of view, it was like, yeah, this is about right. This is how this week's going. But yeah, it was um it was incredible to watch. Um, and yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I, and I know a lot of City fans seem like they didn't, um, but I don't know. I, t- I think a spectacle like that is is kind of incredible. You, you, I mean, you, like um, I think you, we've all seen Stat City tweet that that's city's first four four draw since 1950. You know, Guardiola's first ever four all draw. I am bemused as to why four three seems like a fairly common score line, but no one ever draws four four. What's all that about? You know, yeah. what right. are they not telling us? But
2: um, yeah. <laughs> What a things about What a conspiracy theory that is. <laughs> <laughs> of all of football's conspiracy theories, the fact that there are never any four-all draws is is uh, is is, uh, is a strange one. Um, Chris, I, I have I have run the numbers, um, and uh, as as Dom says, um, stats at his tweet is uh, that it's the city's first four-all draw since uh, the year 1950. They've had four of them in total. Half of them have been at Stamford Bridge. They've drawn they've they've drawn previously at Stamford Bridge with Chelsea four-all, um, although that was in uh, 1930. So, uh, not within living memory for most of us. Is that a dig? I don't remember either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't suggesting you did. Don't worry. Um, the uh, the other the other strange things um, because why wouldn't I check this sort of stuff? Because it's the sort of thing I do. George the sixth was on the British throne two monarchs ago, so Elizabeth the second, nineteen fifty two to twenty twenty two, never saw a city four or draw.
4: Um, Charles, hot timer, on, yeah. one armchair,
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> throne chair fan. Yeah,
2: uh, <laughs> Charles III been on for um, just over a year. He's seen a four-all draw, has not he? Yeah, but uh, his mother, no, nope, not a chance. Um, the last time City drew four-all, uh, nobody had ever been named Miss Universe. That didn't exist. Uh, Alaska and Hawaii, they weren't part of the USA. Um, no conjoined twins had ever been successfully separated. Uh, the last time City drew four-all. Um, Disney had never released Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan The Lord of the Rings, The Lord of the Flies had never been published Nobody had ever climbed to the summit of Mount Everest What about Lord of the Dance? I don't know know about Lord of the Dance I should have checked all the Lords really, shouldn't I? But no, I didn't check that Um, Nobody had climbed to the the summit of Mount Everest About 4,500 people have done that now um, and the last time that city drew four-all, Burger King, Kermit the Frog, the Guinness Book of Records, videotape, the Eurovision Song Contest, the European Cup, the US Interstate Highway <laughs> System, TV Jeez. in Australia, and pantyhose or nylon tights, they all didn't exist. Jeez, is this what you do at home? Can is you this... believe that we haven't been nominated for the Podcast Award this year? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure...
4: <laughs> Must be nominated for something, but not probably not very complimentary on the back of all that.
3: Do you, think, you know, because obviously it was a good weekend for the um, City of Made Football Boring crew being involved in the game like that, but do, do you reckon the mountaineering community think that all these people climbing Everest have just made it boring now? It's yeah. Like, it's, not, it's not like it used to be in the days of Edmund Hillary.
2: Yeah, uh, lads.
4: Yeah. yeah, they're just making a mountain out of a mountain. <laughs> a really
2: big mountain. Yeah. Uh, right, I've, I've already lost control of this and started the nonsense, but it's fitting for the game that we've just had. But let's get into the analysis. Um, for the 2023-24 season, the Blue Moon Podcast is sponsored by Green King Sports. That's where football is more than a game. Green King Sport venues are showing every televised city fixture over the course of the season. So instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and get down to your local Green King pub and get closer to the action. This season, Green King has launched the Green King Sports Instagram page too. That'll be the home to fan content, deals, and competitions throughout the season. They've already given away Champions League final tickets and signed shirts, so you don't want to miss out. Go and drop them a follow on Instagram. And you won't just be the first to know about all of this stuff. You'll also be helping out the Blue Moon podcast as well. Um, Dom, I'll let you kind of stew on your thoughts a bit longer because, Chris, from a fan's point of view... Um, how do you begin to react to that game? Uh, because, like as, as Dom said, he found it quite enjoyable, like being there and watching it. But what well, I, every time City got in front and every time Chelsea equalised, you know, I, I I tore a little bit more of my hair out. Well,
4: I didn't have that option. Um, <laughs> but it's another dig, that isn't it? We're only minutes. Sorry, in. I don't know what I don't know what's flying. with me today. I've called you old and I know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's probably the most accurate piece of research you've, uh, you've done so far. That's not denigrating the, the other stuff. But my in, my initial reaction was incredulity and it's not really changed since. I'm still kind of reeling from that that game, to be honest. But in a way, it was kind of a pleasure to be involved in as a fan of that team. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's all very well being, um, you know... Smooth control freaks and just dismantling teams in the way that we're accustomed to. So you know it's kind of refreshing to to be involved in a bit of a, a right old ding dong, uh, ding dong. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I kind of enj- enjoyed it. Woof, woof. Sorry, <laughs> although uh, although it was what, a bit. What was what
2: was battle brushes? <laughs> boom boom! That was it, wasn't it?
4: <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I I I don't know. What what do you say? It was it was absolutely mental. Um, I don't like to go into an international break on the back of anything but uh, a win, really, because you feel like there's unfinished business and you, it's not the not the best feeling. But. I guess I'm a bit spoiled as a city fan these days, but yeah. I, Maybe there was, was too much was, business in the Chelsea game. Maybe that's was. the problem. Like there, there wasn't unfinished business. The, the business was overworked. If anything, we were business cramming. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, just, I, I don't know. It's it's hard to to kind of disseminate everything that happened into uh, a reasonable, you know, calm explanation. So I don't really have one for you.
2: Excellent. Uh, well, Dom, <laughs> um, obviously, plenty of quality in the game. Um, plenty of mistakes on both sides too. Like when you look at a game like that, is, it, is it, it? It's very easy to balance out with everything that City did well. They also made some sort of error to kind of compound that. Um, so, can you be glass half full on this, or or is it ultimately glass half empty?
3: Um, I think when just on the basic level of you've led three times. And then not won the game. That's pretty glass half empty. But as stupid as this sounds, it didn't feel like a game City led three times. I mean, they did, you know, the, the, the facts <laughs> are there. But it wasn't like there were massive periods in the ascendancy. Like, like, like the opening goal came a little bit against the run of play. Um, and to go back to the mistakes City were making, um, I do think you, you sometimes have to hold your hands up and say they were forced by Chelsea playing very, very well and Chelsea's press been really good. And Diaz has had a bad game because he got isolated a lot in possession, um, and yet it comes back to this thing that you know Guardiola likes to have control um, and not th- things not to turn into basketball games like that. But I think when Ilkay Gundian's left and John Stones is injured and you decide not to start Jack Grealish, the potential for the game like not to get like that diminishes. But at the same time, I can see why he made all the decisions he did, but. Say, for example, Akanji who probably had the best game of the defenders, although I mean, who knows? Because it was it was chaos back there.
2: He can, was it, the can, second... can any defender have played well in a four-all draw? That's the question. Well, do you know what? I thought both goalies played well, which is bizarre. <laughs>
3: um, despite Edison being at fault for a goal, probably, but still made a couple of amazing saves. Yeah, it was mad. Um but obviously Akanji was doing that John Stones into midfield thing, which he does fine in terms of knowing where to go and sort of recycling possession, but I think you you, you really come to appreciate the next level that Stones does that. At. And one of the things with Stones being so good at it is he adds to the control. So yeah, Stones kind of, Stone
4: has played that a long time as well, hasn't he? He's been kind of yeah. groomed into that role, so it's a lot to expect of anyone um, mm. from the defense to step up and, and perform to the same level. Yeah,
3: yeah, and I think you also have a situation where Doku played because he scored and got four assists the weekend before which sometimes you can overthink what Guardiola might do with his team basically the winger who's been responsible for five goals probably has to play Um, and then the other thing with the midfield control is Alvarez has been a revelation this year and you maybe wouldn't have expected a City midfield with him in it so often like joining the midfield in the attack but he brings loads in terms of goal involvement what he doesn't bring is that little bit of a steady in hand when the Mm. game's running away from him. So, yeah, I, I I both sort of disagree with the team that Guardiola picked and thought he made mistakes at the weekend, but I totally understand why he made them, which is a little bit of the sort of snarky both sides thing journalists get to do, I
2: guess. Yeah, so maybe the glass isn't half full or half empty. There's it, it, there's just half in it. The glass has half in it. It's it's completely neutral. It's
3: just, it be- it's, just a, it's a really nice half pint. Yeah. You don't need to go <laughs> overboard. don't need to get hangover. It's a nice half pint.
4: This is the, that's the thing with this glass, glass half full analogy, isn't it? It might be half full, but but what of? <laughs> I mean, but well, what's this dandelion and hemlock sounds nice. <laughs> Twist on a classic. Two minutes later, you're dead. <laughs> but um, in terms of in terms of like defenders play, I thought the defenders a lot of them did play well, just not defending. Like yeah. you know, they play like Kanji did some great. He scored a great goal. Um, went into midfield well. Walker was okay attacking but he got rinsed by Raz all evening didn't he um Guardiola did some great stuff going forward really really positive um linked the attack well um showed some real flair but you know that error with the frankly criminal foot wafting where he uh, basically assisted for one of Chelsea's goals was you know a pretty blatant um faux pas so yeah, it's it was a game full of mistakes. I think um, it was uncharacteristic as well. I mean, uh, Rodri played not poorly all game, but he made some really uncharacteristic errors. He seemed to be um, sort of giving it the big one a little bit, being a bit too, this is how I do it, I'm the best midfielder in the world, too casual where Chelsea were just so at it. And they were bound to click sooner or later i mean they've got a lot of good players they've not been clicking particularly well it was bound to happen at some point um you know it's a night game it's against city there's a couple of ex-city players there with points to prove you really need to be matching them on effort and you know like vim and vigor and we weren't really doing that it was kind of a yeah you, you come rushing around trying to challenge us like madmen we'll just we'll just be really cool and slick and keep losing the ball in doing so and not being at that level it just wasn't quite there Um, and I agree with what Don was saying about the selection perhaps relinquishing the control that you'd expect in terms of playing Doku and Alvarez Um, yeah it was understandable but it definitely had had an effect but um, I think going into the situation it'd do the same again and you know it's just one of those things.
2: It's uh, you know I, I've spent the most majority of that answer, Chris, just thinking uh, that rinsed by Raz sounds like a fragrance and what it would smell of. <laughs> Have you done the
4: Raz doorstep challenge?
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what 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 would a Raheem Sterling perfume smell like? Well, I mean, he sells Clark shoes, doesn't he? So I hope it doesn't smell like <laughs> <laughs> new shoes. New shoes smell nice. New, yes, like when you, yeah. new shoes out of a box smell nice.
3: Maybe may that's crazy. I, I was thinking uh, the Footwafter sounds like a bad 1940s <laughs> era Germany defender.
2: Um,
4: <laughs> Klaus foot <Putwachter. laughs> Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, um,
2: the other side of this, Dom, is as much as you can hammer the mistakes that were made, um, in a game like that, where it's going end to end, where even like it's, it's under the lights on a really, really wet and rainy night, the surface is slick and the ball's skidding around everywhere... Like, sometimes the mistakes are just impossible to avoid. Like, you're you, you, you you're under constant pressure. At some point, something will give. And that's kind of fine, isn't it? I think,
3: for the most part, there's one passage of play that I can remember, like, quite vividly. And this is where it would like it being a... It was very much slide tackle weather. Um, and the weekend oh, the, game was...
2: Diaz was in slide tackle mode as well, wasn't he?
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the tackle for the penalty, He he, he sort of... Launch into midair from somewhere near Fulham Broadway or something. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what he was doing. But um, it, it was one in the eye at the weekend for people go, oh, you know, you, you, your game's gone, mob, or you can't tackle anymore. Well, no no one told anyone um, involved in that <laughs> game. And say, like, the um, the press box at Stamford Bridge, you are dead low down, so you do, like, you get a bit of a hit of the physicality of it. It's kind of, it's a bit of a privilege to be there for a game like that. But yeah, There was a passage of play where, we started with, I think it, it was Gusto, I think, went into Alvarez, like, mowed through him to start a Chelsea counter attack. Much which nearly got yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, thinking about it, I think it was De Sassy, but you can't put on that. So, anyway, a Chelsea <laughs> defender. Yeah, De Sassi comes through. Then there's the, the counter attack almost got stopped because Grealish motored through Sterling. And then it ended with it would have been Jackson was nearly through on goal and a candy just came in from stage left. <laughs> and if he'd missed the ball, it was definitely a red card. Um, and, it was, and that all happened within the space of about 10 seconds. Like, this is this is unhinged. And that was like, um, I, was, I was sitting just next to Mike Mine from BBC and they had Phil Brown doing the summarising. And there was that, much, that sort of passage of play sort of left Phil Brown almost like cackling like, Back in you know, thinking back to when he was Sam Allardyce's assistant, of like it was a good proper football moment. Um, yeah, it was it, it was crazy. So you sort of think about how much can you control a game like that?
4: Do you, th- do you think professional footballers, when the conditions are like that, do you think they look out of the pitch in the rain and think, "Oh, there's going to be a few sliders today, lads"? <laughs> I, I think Diaz probably does.
3: Yeah, well, he might want to rain in a bit, but I think the rest of them, I mean, even like um, like how the. Uh, I think you can look at someone like Kovacic. I know we're going to talk about the new signings later. There's like a bit of a before and after in his Small City career. Of this guy looks sound, and then he played against Arsenal like a lunatic. But that tackle he made on Sterling right at the end that prompted Pochettino marching on up the pitch. That was that was another totally mad one. Um, well, I think he, I think he got the ball and it was a clean tackle. But yeah, the, there was an awful lot of guys playing in the red. I think would be the the way to put it. And Diaz was, you know rev the whole um, suspension off the thing yeah
4: I love the way he claimed to have got the ball on that tackle I mean he did kind of you know just just graze it just before he (laughs) took the guy out it's like yeah you did touch the ball first but you ended up outside the stadium and you demolished a bus stop (laughs) with three people in it it's like mate
2: yeah yeah, the good old uh, yeah. You can uh, normally you can tell with a penalty, can't you? The uh, the how much it was a penalty is uh, inversely proportional to the amount that the defender pre- looked like insists that he won the ball. Yeah,
3: yeah it, that was one of those that was it was a penalty when he was in mid air, like even before <laughs> he'd make. So, so, I, so you're sitting there, you know, while I was in sort of rewrite mode. I just, so, you, so you that that stage of the game, as you know from, yeah. You know, other journalists on this podcast talking, you you're sort of half watching your writing. And I kind of looked up to see him in midair and I was like, All oh, right, well that's a penny then huh? <laughs> And it's and, and, and it's the Cole Palmer narrative and let's start thinking about that. So yeah he, he kind of yeah, he he flagged what was gonna happen with I mean, I don't know what was going on
2: it just reminds me of uh, do you remember that manchester derby in uh 2020 in january 2020 where uh, united were down to 10 men uh, but winning 1-0 at the etihad and, and needed one more goal to go through to the uh, to get it to extra time for the league cup semi final and uh like, it, otamendi. It, otamendi yeah but then there's a close up of um uh, de bruyne on the tv and you can see him that while Ottomendi's starting to make the challenge de bruyne is <laughs> shouting nico no <laughs> <laughs>
4: I wonder how many times that got uttered yeah. during his uh, city career. Quite a few.
2: Yeah, you could just see it, it was it was like the, the the penalty that you could see coming from the furthest off all season. Um so that's I mean the craziness then. We've obviously we've dived straight into it ourselves. Um uh, Chris, after the 3-0 draw with Newcastle last season, Guardiola went back to basics and he started talking about wanting extra touches in the final third. And that's that's kind of where we've built last season's control on towards the end of the season. Um, are you expecting a similar sort of reaction to this one? Because ultimately, the City's performance, it, it, they didn't keep possession long enough. Their, their, their problem was was in possession rather
4: than out of possession. Yeah, I, I don't know if extra touches is... Is really the the key to it. It's just we made too many individual mistakes. Um, I mean, with Haaland, you don't really want to, you know, if you take an extra touch half the time, then the run is negated. Yeah, it's over. he makes yeah. he makes so many good runs during a game. I watched um, the Brighton game from um, relatively posh seats compared to where I normally stand. I was like right above, quite high up on the halfway line and just watching Haaland and he makes run after run after run and from this sort of lofty height where you can see everything. Um, it's all easy from up here, Jim, kind of thing. <laughs> um, he just makes all of these runs and you just think, if he'd just been spotted, down, he's clean through. One touch, he's clean through. And you know the more we kind of get the ball in the final third and take another touch and another touch it just makes it harder and harder for a proper center forward like Haaland to to make those kind of defining runs so i don't know if that is the key definitely more control overall is something that i think guardiola is going to request right. yeah yeah um but we need to i mean in a situation like that you need to win your individual battles get back to basics um, <laughs> someone once said but like there was too many people losing their, their individual battles like Walker um, was getting rinsed the mid- midfield was getting overrun we really looked like we were missing De Bruyne and Stones um, which obviously you know every, every team has injuries that they have to cope with but they're particularly big ones aren't they um, and yeah Rodri wasn't at it um, we've talked about other individual mistakes in the defence. The lack of control, I think uh, Doku and, you know, in, in hindsight, the choices that Pep made that we've documented in terms of perhaps surrendering a bit of control, he's not going to do that, again, I think, um, in, a, in a dicey game like Chelsea. So I think uh, we can see the big games come in where, given the choice between Doku and Grealish and Kovacic and, um Alvarez, then he probably is going to opt for the, the more secure option to start with. Yeah, the uh, the counterpoint to that, Dom,
2: is obviously after Grealish came on, Like Grealish is, is known as the control man, but City still conceded twice after he came on and the game didn't get any easier for them. Um, and I'm starting to wonder, like, how how well equipped our city if the opposition decide, well, we're going to make this a bit of a cartoon game. Let's have a Looney Tunes game and, and see what happens. And like, because Guardiola craves that control, but sometimes, like like on on Sunday, maybe it's just not possible. Maybe whatever, like like you've got your injuries, you've got the team that you can select from. The other team are playing in a manner that are going. Well, this game is just going to go nuts.
3: Yeah, I mean, they'd better get get better at Looney Tunes games when you look at the fixtures coming up because um, there's potentially three in a row there. Um, Grealish is a strange one because I thought he played really well when he came on and did all like the Jack Grealish stuff very well. Um, and it did feel more controlled, like sort of certainly from 3-2 and then there was Alvarez had that chance and Doku had the chance just before he went off. I thought that was, I mean, it's all relative with how the game was going, but I thought it kind of felt under control then until Chelsea equalised and then it, from 3-3 it went completely mad again. So, yeah, I thought Grealish made it more controlled, but yeah, as you say, the, um, the goals that were conceded wouldn't, wouldn't really bear that out. Um, but yeah, I think it comes back to, I think Guardiola has his control players and he kind of looked at who was available and who was in form I kind of thought, well, the control guys either aren't available or maybe aren't on the best form, so they're not going to be able to get the element of control you need anyway against the Cino team. So then you look at how Docky's play, you look at Alvarez has got playing and go, oh, well, you know, fuck it really. Let's, you know, you go for it. Um, <laughs>
2: Could I'm, 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 <laughs> you imagine Guardiola just got into the dressing room and going, lads? You guys, know what? what? Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> guys, just, just fuck do it. you want.
3: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I think it was as close to fuck it as he gets. But um, <laughs> yeah, the other thing, what I did say about the midfield getting overrun is they actually set up exactly how they did at Old Trafford. In so far as Bernardo being like quite high up down the left hand side, and I think a lot of people thought he would took in with Rodri. Now, obviously, that set up worked really well at Old Trafford, but. The difference is Chelsea were really on it and they weren't like a bunch of increasingly petulant mannequins that he had to play against in the second <laughs> half there. And Bernal in that advance worked really well at Old Trafford because you had Grealish who puts his foot on it and sort of interacts with the midfielder inside him a bit more than Docker does because Docker just goes for it. Worst thing for Docker the weekend was Reese James is a phenomenal player and you know gave him a really tough game and so probably, you'll probably had him in his pocket a little bit. Um
4: he is really good, isn't he?
3: Yeah, he's, he's phenomenal. I mean, I, th- I think, like, say, CTLC taking him off with about 20 minutes left. Um, they're clearly looking after his body, which is yeah, yeah, know, he's, a bit he's of a, an issue, uh, but he's fantastic. See, you, you have that thing of Bernardo is high up, but not interacting with the winger as much, which leaves space near Rodri, which Akanji is filling in, but doesn't do it as eloquently as John Stones does. And I think that's where you get to
0: what unfolded.
1: Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
2: Let's go through the goals then because we've uh, we've only we've only got a little bit of time left on the on the podcast, so we better better get cracking through it. Um Controversy about the penalty, Chris, because there has to be controversy about every VAR decision, apparently. Um it's just a penalty, isn't it? There's no not much more to it than that.
4: In my my opinion, it is a penalty. Yeah. Um, the reason I think people are saying it shouldn't be is because historically it hasn't been given as such, but it should always be given as penalty simply by virtue of the fact it's a foul in the box. So yeah. maybe <laughs> that's kind maybe of how if, it works, isn't it? <laughs> what I would like, as a traditionalist, yeah. I mean, you know, it should always have been given as a as a penalty because fouls in the box are fouls in the box it's like come on if you start if you if you always give them then the knock-on effect should be that people will stop doing it and you know if they don't then tough shit it's a penalty
1: yeah
2: nicely converted by Harland um but then Dom a couple of minutes later um you got any issues with how City defended the corner for 1-1 or is it ultimately just good attacking from from Chelsea they've seen how City set up and they see kind of what players they put where and they've done some good blocking
3: yeah, it, it, it's one that you can see Chelsea will be very, very happy with. Um, you know, it, It's a nice, intelligent run by Thiago Silva, who's about 15 years older than all the rest of the guys on their team. It's a weird thing. Um, yeah, I wonder, actually, looking at that goal and the Akanji one afterwards, um, and then throwing back to what happened on the penalty, are those goals a result of Kukurea being, and I'd agree with Chris, rightly punished for what was a foul? Are the players on those set piece situations thinking, "All oh, right, well, if those sort of grabs are getting punished, have we got to be a little bit standoffish?" You know, is there a, is the kind of a knock on effect from the penalty incident to, I think you could charitably say, pretty passive defending on both Chelsea's first and City
2: second. Yeah, and that brings us, uh, we'll come to the Kanji goal shortly, but that brings us to uh, the goal that made it 2-1 to Chelsea. Chris, you said before, Gradiol basically got his feet tangled up. Um, there's I, there's not really much more to say, is there? He's, he's ultimately just got his feet wrong. And, you know, you can bollock him as much as you
4: want. You know, you shouldn't be doing that. But, like, he didn't mean to do that. It's just happened. It's just an error. Uh, I mean, I think he was trying to let it run between his feet and either see it out or take it out wide uh it's greasy pitch the ball he's he's obviously misread the ball um and yeah i don't think i said i got he got his feet tangled it was more of a a wafting uh, offense but uh anyway the result was the same um assist for sterling was it it Um, was yeah yeah it's uh it's just unfortunate what you've got to do then is pick yourself up and positive throughout the rest of the game and I thought he did that.
3: Yeah, I just think on Sterling as well, um, first of all I, I really enjoyed on that goal how he Went to celebrate, then realised he was meant to be not celebrating, <laughs> and tried to sort of style it out with a bit of dance, like a little bit like when someone runs for the bus and misses it, and then tries to make it <laughs> like they weren't running for the bus. Yeah, that, have, thought, have,
2: you, have you seen Colo Torre in the uh, twenty twelve Aguero celebrations? He goes for a hug with Mancini, and Mancini goes for someone else, and Torre just kind of hands in his pocket, mills around as if uh, as if he like meant to do that anyway.
3: <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so yeah, that 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 is that is a good one, Torre. But it is um. So that was quite funny. But Also, by the way, people who get annoyed about play no celebr non-celebration is just a farce. It's like the whole idea of football is goals and the joy associated with them. The idea that you used to play for someone once that you don't celebrate is just bobbins. What's even worse is people getting annoyed about someone not, not celebrating. So yeah, sack all that. And there was part of me that really enjoyed actually but watching. What,
2: what about somebody getting annoyed at people who are getting annoyed at uh, people who don't celebrate? Like like you are right now. What I think where, that's where, fine. That is that fine. That, that's yeah.
3: Perfectly sensible. Um I found yeah, what I, he's I,
4: just said, annoying. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but um I thought
3: Sterling was great. Um and it was actually from like having watched him all through his city years, and I know he's a guy that unfortunately maybe people's defining image of him are not the hundred or so goals, it's like misses against Leon and in that derby against United when he should have won the league. But he was a massive part of everything that he's done, and he's had a dreadful couple of years. There was part of, uh, you know, it was enjoyable to see him playing so well, getting it all back um, because he's been a phenomenal footballer who I think um, has been a massive part of everything that's happened at City. And it was it was good to see that side of him back. The other, the final thing I want to celebrate, I'll say, which I only noticed after the game watching things back, is Nicholas Jackson is uh, a bit mental. He um, He was keen on Sterling <laughs> carrying on celebrating right so if you watch about he's like he, he's get, he's like asking sterling to give it a bit to the city fans which is like it's a bit weird mate but <laughs> then on palmer's palmer's equalizer at the end when they're in that, that huddle he grabs hold of him and starts pointing gestures towards the city fans like trying to get him to go and do another by all it's like <laughs> really so yeah and so i think it's, it might have gone under the radar that nicholas Ra- nicholas jackson is nicholas radar nicholas jackson is <laughs> is absolutely mad so Keep an eye on that for the rest of the season because there's there's probably some good stuff to come out
2: of it. Chris, that does bring us to the Akanji goal. Um, a good movement to hold the space, nice header, um, or just Chelsea falling apart at the back?
4: Well, I mean, he didn't really move at all, did he? He was just in, in acres, really. He he's split the defenders and um, it's just terrible. Well, a terrible lack of marking rather than terrible marking. Uh, but a fantastic header. I love that. Um, Camera sh- camera angle where you can just see him really whipping his head around the ball and and, and steering it in. Uh, it was yeah, really really top header, but yeah, shite defending. Yeah, Sorry,
2: I was just Googling Nicholas Radar and there's nine of them in <laughs> Illinois, but that's that's as far as, as, far as I can find.
3: Nicholas Ray. <laughs> I'm um, still not reattached my head from that game, clearly.
2: yeah, uh, Chris, on the flip side, when Haaland put City in front for 3-2 and then you saw that the VAR was checking for a potential handball on the ball that was going in anyway, that might have clipped Haaland's elbow if that had got ruled out for that happening it didn't it didn't touch it but had it touched and and it would have had to have been ruled out under the laws of the game um i think that might have been the moment where my living room got trashed
4: yeah i would have lost my shit if that had, <laughs> uh, if that had happened i mean yeah that's why that's why you need common sense and not um Dusty old boffins making the the rule changes.
3: You can't be ruling out a bollock goal. They don't happen every day, do they?
4: Well, was it? Was it? I mean, he's it, definitely um, scored with his balls there, hasn't he? I mean, that's an underrated skill.
3: Yeah, it's a good one for like data collectors like opt to have categories for goals of like other. left foot, right foot, head, other. It's it's, <laughs> it's definitely other.
4: Um, I think Grealish scored with his knob uh, against <laughs> was it Norwich in his first game, which was uh, quite something.
2: Yeah. No, I um <laughs> I, I remember speaking to uh Duncan Alexander, now of the Athletic, but previously of Opta, um, about uh a, one of Aguero's goals against Arsenal that he definitely put in with his hand uh because he was he was sliding in like that. Mm. And um it like it hit, his, it hit his left hand last. And I was just like, how do you categorize that? And he's like, well, that just goes down as other because like in the laws of the game, that can't be a goal, but like the referee didn't spot it, so it's a goal. So it has to go down as other. So uh, Harlands was definitely an other goal. Um, right, Dom, and the others. Yeah, uh, right, and the others. Um, <laughs> Dom, you mentioned Edison for uh, his performance. Uh, the one mistake I would say he made is that he he made is that he uh, he needs to make that uh, that save. He needs to push it away further, doesn't he? When it's uh, when it gets to three all.
3: Yeah, I mean. I, I defer to your goalkeeping expertise, but it, I mean, I was not
2: the performance I put in on Tuesday. <laughs> <if you know. laughs>
3: when, when a shot is that well struck, surely you think it's easy to get it further away. The one thing I would say, Mitigation Verison, is a few minutes before that was when he made that brilliant save from Palmer, when Palmer went on that slalom in run, and he kind of. It was such good anticipatory goalkeeping. Um, he took a bit of a knock during that, and I know he's now pulled out of the Brazil squad. So I think, and he it, and it had a little bit of treatment. So I think you, if you're going to be kind to him, you could say that that sort of half error he's made there has maybe come when he's not at full capacity.
2: Yeah. Um, and maybe Diaz as well, Chris, uh, shouldn't be sliding in from the length of the penalty area to try and get a block in when he could uh, he could maybe just stand it up and,
4: and, and stay with Jackson. I think it's time for Pep to have a word with him about that because it's not... He's a bit of a repeat offender. He's not on the Otamendi uh, level yet, but if he carries on that way... He who is. That's the thing. Well, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, it's... um... Was it um... Paolo Maldini who said, if I need to make a a tackle, then I've already made a mistake? Uh, If it wasn't, then he should have done. Very profound. Very, very very profound. Well, well, exactly. I've certainly not made it up. Um, But no, that's basically where... um, he needs to be sort of <laughs> approaching that from a thing. Like stop sliding around on your ass and uh get your position sorted in the first place. Pal. Thank yeah. you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh four three. You got four three up on eighty-six minutes, albeit with a deflection DOM. Uh in even in a game like that, surely you shouldn't be losing you shouldn't be uh, losing the lead from there, should you? Uh
3: I would say not. Um so obviously Kovacic is already on at that point. I mean, I, I, but I, I am trying to think like, what what does Guardiola do with his bench from there to try and shore it up? I mean, he, he does always say now that when the game's chaotic, that's perfect for Calvin Phillips. It's like, well, that's a lie, <laughs> isn't it? Because he'd have come on. Um, you know, so, no, but maybe he comes on sort of being a bit of an extra body deeper, and you know physical
2: presence. I cannot think of a situation where Calvin Phillips enters Stamford Bridge, the pitch at Stamford Bridge in that game. I we're cl-
3: well, clearly a- not because Guardiola said when the game's chaotic, that's perfect for Calvin and it's the most chaotic game City have been involved in for at least a year. And Did it-
4: anybody really think we weren't going to concede it when we were 4-3 up? Did anybody really think we were seeing that out? I hoped, but... Yeah, I, I know what you mean. In that in the way the game had gone, as soon
2: as it went up for 8 minutes as well for added time. Yeah. I, like... Like if 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 it if it had if it had been the old days and a normal 5 minutes or something like that, but now we've got giant extra time. I I was concerned, yeah.
3: The other thing I would point out is that's where Akes injuries maybe a bit of a problem. I know he's not been at his very best this year, but you could make an argument that he is in terms of like composure as well. He's maybe the best out and out pure defender at the club. And 100% I think agree. If Ake was fit, as soon as that ball hits the net, he's tracks it off and he's coming on. So mm. could have been that. But it's another major loss
4: in terms of key players mm. that have influenced uh, our performance there, I think. Mm.
3: Yeah. Nevertheless, yeah, you're right. Uh, the third time you take the lead with four minutes of normal time left, you probably want to be winning.
2: Yeah. And uh, we've we've discussed the incident that led to the penalty Chris. Um and it was obviously going to be Cole Palmer that took it given that he's become uh, Chelsea's penalty taker in his uh, in his time there. Um it was it was one of them where, wasn't it where you're thinking now would be a good time for Editons to save his first penalty in about 15 years. Yeah, never
4: happening. I actually called before the game that um I predicted that Palmer would score a penalty but that Sterling would create it because I've lamented a few times in the past on this pod um the fact that Sterling just doesn't get penalties given uh for him despite being repeatedly fouled over the course of his city career in the area and um it didn't quite turn out that way but I was not surprised in the slightest to see uh Palmer scoring a penalty. Yeah. And good at it. Know, isn't he? Yeah. Well yeah, hats off to him and the way he's taken that mantle is well by just literally taking it he one day they had a penalty and he just went up to... He grabbed the ball and everyone was trying to get it off him. It's like, excuse me, mate, you're 20 years old. You've only just got to the club. I'll be taking No, you won't. I'm taking it. <laughs> and he's just taken everyone since and, and buried them all. So, yeah. yeah, a bit of arrogance on the, on, the, on the celebration, but I've got no issue with that. I also quite... A few people were getting a bit pissy about him. Um, you know where we're having a little bit of a huddle on that free kick um, towards the end? And he just walked up and joined it to have a bit of an airwig and got kind of jovially shoved out of the way by Holland. I thought that was absolutely fine. I thought quite daring, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's so with are
3: sure,
4: so he? <laughs> he is, he is. That's absolutely n- nothing wrong with that. You know, no. Anything wrong with him is a rag, but apart from that, you know, he's, he's all right. <laughs>
3: If all of this keeps him doing post-match interviews, then I'm like, on oh, for because it's class. Because th- th- he said after the game, um, I'm not going to say I practice penalties because I don't. So it's amazing he just thought, I'm the penalty taker because I reckon I might be good at them. That's brilliant.
4: <laughs> He's clearly not overthinking it, is he?
3: <laughs> no, absolutely not. There's also, just after their mad game on Monday against Tottenham, there was like um, Patrick Davison said, said to him, like, well, in a way, sometimes is it unusual and maybe tougher to play against nine men? And Palmer goes, uh, no, well, it's easier to play against nine he's absolutely at any time in front of the camera it's like there's no filters on him at all he's great so yeah long may long may may his form continue because he gets to Have a microphone shoved in his face.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Absolute box office. Um, Right, now let's put the madness to bed and we'll uh, look ahead now because uh, we're just under a third of the way through the season. 31.6% of the way through the season, to be exact. And City a top of the table, a point ahead of both Liverpool and Arsenal and two ahead of Tottenham. It's tight, very tight at the top. So we're going to use this month's international break to take stock We'll check in on City's progress so far shortly, but first, I've been speaking to fans of each of those teams, starting with Neil Atkinson from the Anfield Wrap. I started by asking if Liverpool's start to the
5: season had slipped under the radar a little. I think that's really fair. I think that happened in the summer as well. There's a couple of little things, really. Arsenal obviously got a lot of attention, but Arsenal ended up last season on on, on 84 points, and they got 50 of them in the first 19 games. Uh, what that suggests is they only got 34 from the next 19 uh, and in the meantime, we were shocking at times last season in January and February. But I think from the last 19 games, we only got about one point fewer than Arsenal. It genuinely was about that close. You know, we there's a little run in February after having been really poor where we win four and five, uh, which culminates in the five nil of the 7-0 win against United. Um then we have a really soft defeat of Bournemouth. And then we have the we come back, we get beat by City, then we draw with Chelsea, then we have a really mad two with Arsenal that I'm sure City supporters remember. And then we sort of don't look back. We we win the next seven, draw the last two. We phone it in against Southampton last game. But the idea that it's just a this season resurgence isn't isn't quite right. So I thought it was mildly surprising how much we weren't being talked about uh, as the start of the season approached. And then from there there's obviously a little bit of a journey that that's undergone. We're not stellar first game of the season against Chelsea, but we have the the Newcastle experience uh, which goes absolutely brilliantly for us and if it was a season that needed kickstarting, and I don't quite think it was, but if it was a season that needed kickstarting, then that very much acts as a kickstart for everyone. Now, that's not to say things have been perfect. You know, we we've dropped points away at Luton, and that does feel like two dropped in quite a profound way. We we arguably should take the game away from Bright- Brighton, getting two one up uh, in that one, even though we were quite poor for a period. And then there's the madness of whatever it is that went on at at Tottenham, um, which obviously is, you know, you can write a book on the madness of that. So there's still question marks. There's still question marks about the away form. Um, It's still a Liverpool side that, you know, needs to find ways to make sure it does assert itself away from home, especially, but you can't argue with the home form. Uh, We've scored, we played six games at home. We've scored three and five of them. Uh, And the other one was a 2-0 win against Everton. That never really felt in doubt. So, where we are for the rest of this campaign is going to be built on the rock of the home form. And I'd venture that the most important away games Liverpool have got coming up isn't the one at the Etihad, which is a bit like an FA Cup final or a Community Shield game because of the, the madness of the the delay. Liverpool go to Sheffield United, to Crystal Palace and to Burnley in December. And if Liverpool take nine points from those games, then realistically, we're going to be in really, really good nick by the time we get to get to the third round of the FA Cup. But if we show the vulnerabilities that maybe we have shown in a couple of games, uh, the insecurities we've maybe shown in a couple of games, and get ourselves into a bit of bother, then this is a season that's going to be about Liverpool reasserting themselves back in the top four rather than trying to be in the top one.
2: Yeah. Um. Where do you think you are at the moment? Given um, we'll do. We'll I'll, we'll hear from an Arsenal fan and a and a Spurs fan shortly as well. Um. But when it comes towards the end of the season, I mean, I, I know we're about a third of the way through. Um, where do you think you'll be come the end of the season? Are you, are, are you feeling like you're on the verge of the title race this season, or are you, are you still a bit concerned about those about, about those insecurities you mentioned?
5: So I I ultimately believe we're plus or minus we're five plus or minus ninety um, at the minute, and there's a big difference between, you know, let's say, six plus or minus ninety, and there's a big difference between eighty four and ninety six in terms of what that means for the title. Uh, and I think that it is those those games that sort of define that a little bit. Um, and you know I feel as though Liverpool definitely are profiling as an 80 plus point side I think in so many ways that's the case as I said before about the home form Mo Saladers, the last game that Mo Salah at Anfield doesn't get a goal or an assist uh, is uh, is mid-January against Chelsea in what was a pretty dire fixture so you know I really do feel as though it's a side that can be looking at home at getting upwards of 50 points possibly even upwards of 55 uh, out of its out of its 19 home games, genuinely, that's the the sort of nick I think it's in that we could be looking at you know at, at, at 17, 18 home wins over the course of the campaign. Obviously, we haven't played you know we haven't played Manchester City yet, um, but I feel very confident we get a result against everybody else at home. Genuinely, now it doesn't work like that. Something goes wrong, you know, the ball doesn't bounce for you one day or something like that. It never quite works like that. But that's the level of confidence I've got on this side at Anfield. So if you think that, you know, if I think that Liverpool could get fifty-four points, say, at home, then they only need to win ten away games, and um, we're, we're talking about eighty-four. Uh, nine, we're talking about eighty-one, and that's the sort of numbers we're used to talking about across these last few seasons, and Manchester City supporters are used to talking about as well. So, I think it's, I think it is going to be on those those away games where I think you're going to see what this side can or can't do. It has a European distraction, but it doesn't have to be a defining one. I feel as though at the minute Liverpool have been able to pick games on the whole uh, for Europa League, uh, being able to pick teams that very much weaken, give other players minutes. But it also means that those players, then, when they come into the side, whether from the start or off the bench, come in with some rhythm. So, you know, I think that there's loads and loads of reasons for optimism. But the main thing to point out is that it was a knock to the confidence, the Luton It But it wasn't like last season. Liverpool were terrible on the road last season to sort of for your listeners to to quantify it, Liverpool's games against the sides that finished in the bottom 10 last season, although you can include Fulham, uh, who finished 10th it was away from home. It was a two-all at Fulham, a nil-nil at Palace, a nil-nil at Chelsea, a three-nil reverse to Wolves. Then they get beat one-nil at Bournemouth, get beat one-nil at Forest, draw nil-nil with Everton, uh, beat Leicester and Leeds emphatically. And then there's the mad four-all I referred to earlier against Southampton. But that's just not good enough. But the thing about all of those games last season, Fulham, Palace, Chelsea, Wolves, Bournemouth and Forest. I'd argue Liverpool don't deserve to win any of them. And the underlying numbers within the game suggest that Liverpool don't deserve to win any of them. The difference with Luton is that Liverpool, the underlying numbers, Liverpool don't play brilliantly, far from it, but the underlying numbers suggest that Liverpool should have scored the opening goal in the game. But also, the other thing that happens is they hang in the game, they go 1 0 down, and they get back and they make it 1 1. They were never equalised against Bournemouth or Forest last year. So, At the minute, the fan base has got this conditioning around how badly wrong it went against the bottom 10 last season. And it's easy to sort of then knock Luton into that. And that's why there is a bit of a a lack of confidence. What Liverpool have got to prove in these games, not the one at the Etihad, I'll say it again, but the one at Bramall Lane, the one at Sellers Park, and the one at Turf Moor, all of which are coming before New Year's Day, they've got to prove that the pattern is not from last season. It's that Luton is a one-off that you get every now and again. And if they do that, then I think the sky's the limit. But if they get back into the pattern of what went wrong last season on the road, then ultimately I think they've already got enough points on the board and done enough to suggest they will finish in the top four. But it means that a title challenge will ever weigh. And that's the thing that knocks your confidence, not the idea of getting B2 on a Tottenham. What matters is these away games against sides Liverpool should be winning.
2: Yeah. Well, Neil, we'll uh, chat more about the game at uh, the Etihad next week, if that's all right. Uh, but for fine. now, let's check in uh, with Michael Kashani, who is uh, an Arsenal fan. Um, I, I mean, it's it's an interesting one, given how last season finished. Um, how, how do you feel this season started so far, Cash?
6: A little bit slow, but in a very different way. You can, I don't think there's any hangover from the way last season ended, apart from the fact that Arteta Brady really doesn't want anything like that to happen again. So we've been a lot more contained, a lot more defensive or sort of more defensively minded. It's much more about having that base at the back, not conceding stupid chances and stupid goals, as we did a lot last year. And the attackers suffered a lot for it, but we are still winning games most of the time. It's just nowhere near as fun.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, you look at uh, the, the way the table's shaping up at the moment, level on points with Liverpool, um, behind only on literally one goal in the goal difference. They've scored one more than you have. Um, and a point behind City. It it feels at the moment like it's really, really tight. What's the feeling around the Arsenal camp right now?
6: Uh, it's, it's a mix. It depends who you speak to. I think there's a general air of, you know, we're, we're doing well, the results are there, the performances, as I say, aren't quite there at the moment. But I think if, if you take sort of that backward step view, and say, we're, we're waiting to click going forward. There are a couple of signings who, well, Rice has just settled straight in. All the rest haven't really got going yet. And, you know, if we if we take that they actually might and they do and we, we improve going forward, then, and yeah, this is what we're like, sort of half in form, half not. So there's a lot to be encouraged by, but there's a little, a little bit to be worried by in terms of the fact that we're just not really playing all that well.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, the the flip side of that is that, I mean, if you're not playing well, you are picking up results at least. And that is, I, exactly. they always talk about that as a positive, yeah.
6: Yeah, it's, it's just what, it's, it's, you know, it's the, the tail wagging the dog or the dog wagging, wagging the tail kind of thing. Are we playing well, sorry, are we playing badly with the view to improving or is this just our level? And I think that we're going to improve. I think that we are just waiting for a few players to really find their groove and just the team to ha- to find its way with the new setup. But I can see the other side where people just think that we're, we might have plateaued a little bit.
2: Yeah, um, when you look at uh, kind of off the pitch stuff as well at the moment, I mean, uh, there was criticism uh, towards Arteta at the back end of last season about uh, kind of keeping his emotions in check and uh, and potentially being overly emotional. Is that something that you see or is that one of those things that kind of from the outside for Arsenal fans is actually really, really, really annoying when people talk about, you know what I
6: mean? It's a tough one because there's so many factors that went into why we fell off last year. The, the team being that bit, too emotional was definitely part of it but honestly i think it was just the the quality downgrade in defense before because we, uh, before we can really address any of the sort of the mentality issues and then it's very possible that it's just very hard to reckon with one you know if you guys had to go from playing diaz to playing i don't know who's a well rob holding it's <laughs> it's, a, it's a rob's a he's a is an okay player but like he's, he's not what you need in the title race particularly when the everything about Saliba might I mean, might not go down with your listener base all that well but Saliba might be the best defender in the league he is unbelievable and going from him to holding was such a huge step down that it the team were already panicked I and mean, i i think the emotion like i said i think the emotion was part of it but i'm i think that emotion that arteta puts into the team is also part of why they're able to keep going and we well oh, we last year more than this year I think, but we tend to get late winners. The team don't well, I was gonna say they don't give up, but they um they collapse a little bit towards the end of last year. But yeah, I mean I'm I'm not as worried about that. I think the emotion transmits to the team quite well at the moment and yeah, it's just impossible to say, really. It's very, very sort of politician's answer.
2: Yeah, is there is there a worry that um, the way last season ended, it was it was almost like a missed opportunity because you look at the at the top of the table, and you know we'll we'll hear from a, a Spurs fan shortly. Um, but like, there's there's the potential for three, maybe four teams in a title race this season. When last season was was clearly just City and and Arsenal. Oh, massive! Yeah, at least uh, can't say for the fan base at large, but for me, definitely, it does feel
6: like. It it feels also strange to say that, you know, City won the treble, but we really should have won the league. Uh, But that is, I mean, it is also true. We only finished five points off in the end, obviously City stepped off for the last two games. Um, So it does feel like a missed opportunity. But at the same time, I'm, you know, this is famous last words. I think Liverpool are playing closer to their peak level than we are at the moment. We've got that room to grow. Um, City are, of course, City. They are, as I've referred to a few times on this podcast, the non-giving up school guy from the Simpsons. They just don't stop and that is, is very difficult to to be against. But you know, that's that's who I, I mean, I'm looking for City's results a lot more than Liverpool's results. And that might be hubris, but I think City is still the main target and if Liverpool is still in the conversation in March, April, then I'll think about them a bit more then.
2: Yeah. Um, so let's let's talk about March, April, May time. Um, where do you think you'll be at, at that point? Are you getting the sense that this is a that this is a rejuvenated Arsenal that that could be in that conversation, or are you still kind of in the position of wanting to see a bit more evidence that that last season's woes have gone away? I
6: fully expect us to be in the
2: conversation,
6: but I would be very surprised if we're leading the way on April the first. Um, and I, that's also just sort of said with hunch rather than having looked at the fixtures properly, but. Yeah, I think we're we're aiming more to just be in the conversation in March, April, and then try and take on another gear from there. The same way that City did to us last year, um, and make sure you're yeah you're not too far away and you've just got that extra room to build up into for the for the really really important bit of the season.
2: Yeah, well, um, we will catch up uh, later on in the season, Cash. Uh, but for now, thank you very much.
1: You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
2: Let's bring in Jack from the Rule the Roost podcast because uh, Tottenham have had an absolutely flying start to the season, Jack. And, um, I mean, two defeats in the last two games probably puts a little bit of a dampener on it, but you can't argue with how you've started, can you?
7: No, you can't. It it, it is that thing, isn't it? If after 11 or 12 games, whatever it is, we'd be told that we'd be in this position only having lost two games, come through a game away at the Emirates, haven't played United, having played Liverpool. Um, we'd have taken it. I guess speaking to me at this point in time, it feels a little bit more um, like the, like the numbers don't tell the full story, right? We, yeah. we often say that with regard to players. And I, I guess right now the situation at Spurs, although one might be able to sort of, Take this bird's eye view, saying, "Oh, you know, it's all right." The next run of fixtures for Spurs could prove to be <laughs> very painful. Just, um, just looking
2: at that, it's tasty, isn't it? Villa at home, City away.
7: Yeah, well, and then West Ham. Let's never forget West Ham. It's their cup final, so uh, you know it's a uh, it, it's a big one. I mean, it's it's, it's you know it's, it's the injuries, the injuries, and Romero remembering that he can't get through a match without being a petulant silly boy. <laughs> you know? Yeah.
2: So let's, I mean, let's focus on the good stuff so far um, because um, we haven't put it out yet, but me and you did a a heaven and hell at the start of the season where you weren't really sure what to make of Spurs under under Posta Coglu. The City football group, whether it's City or or the group itself, uh, really like him. It feels for the first time in, well, in a long time that everybody at Spurs is just pulling in the same direction. Is that fair?
7: Yeah, definitely, very much so. I mean, the spirit he's engendered with the squad is quite remarkable. Um, He's managed to sort of galvanise some of the pieces that were already there. You think about a player like Pedro Porro, for example, who we signed for a lot of money, um, who people, myself included, were even starting to question, is he really going to work at Spurs? Have we wasted a lot of money here? Um, But he has done, he's worked, he's stuck Son up front in that, sort of centre-forward position and he's scoring for fun again. Kulosevsky's working his socks off, but he's managed to also introduce a lot of these, you know, new young players. Van de Ven, absolutely sublime this season. Rest in peace as well. Um, (laughs) Destiny a doggy. I mean, Eve Basuma barely played last year under Antonio Conte and up until very recently, that's looked like a Almost criminal decision from Antonio Conte to leave Yves Bissouma out of this team. So, yeah, it's, it's fair to say that the 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 spirit, um, the team unity that we've seen develop in such a short space of time has been has been a joy to behold after a good three four years now four years really of fractured. Disillusionment of players not really putting in a shift for one another, and Spurs just being a really meh team to watch. You know,
2: yeah, it's been it's been entertaining as well. I guess is is the other side of this, and and like you can almost forgive the mehness if it's getting results, but it wasn't getting results either. And you kind of look at, at where Spurs are now; they're entertaining and getting results right now.
7: Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. You know, the sort of famous example of this now, or infamous really example of this is our nine men against Chelsea um, fighting to the very end, which is kind of led to that meme amongst the Spurs fan base of Postacoglu being called naive, but he he said it himself of uh, during his time in, in Australia, um, I think it was with Raw Salona as a team. Is it Brisbane Raw? I think they are, are they called it? Or Melbourne Raw. Maybe Melbourne Raw. I think I've made that mistake <laughs> before. So sorry to any... Uh, sorry any to Aussie listeners we got, guys. yeah. Yeah, if I've just called them Arsenal Hotspur, basically. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they uh, He said of, of of that time there that there was a particular game when he was losing 3-0 and the team kept on playing the expansive front-footed way that he told them to play at the start of the game. And he said, at that moment, I knew I had them. And then obviously that team went on to be, you know, historic champions of, I think, never matched since uh, in Australia. That's a really poorly constructed sentence, Dave. But, (laughs) you know, they did really well. They did really well. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, you know, Let me
2: ask you then about that Chelsea game, because... um, uh, like like you, like you say the view from the outside is that it was a really really naive um way to perform with nine players. Uh, but when you think about it from the inside is it ultimately just is is it an exercise in making sure that he's got the team everyone's playing in the in the in the same direction it's almost like playing the long game it's the bigger picture stuff it's not it's not to try and win this game it's to try and win the battle uh, the win the war instead of the battle.
7: Yeah, I, I think that's the I think that's the, the ultimate aim. Look, if, if I'm brutally honest, was I sat there watching Chelsea score goal after goal thinking, yeah, well, at least we're giving it a go. No, I wasn't. <laughs> I was human. I was livid. And in that moment, you are like, come on, mate. I, I love what you've done so far, but what are you playing at? Um, but he's a man that will stick to his principles. We knew that when we signed him, every single interview we saw when he did sign was... This is how I play. This is what I do. Um, so I think you know, for for people to call it naive, especially people kind of you know in the in the mainstream media, that's the bus term nowadays, isn't it? Yeah. To, for your Gary Neville's and the like to be calling him naive, you know, this is a guy that's won everywhere he's been before, um, and you, you you may be able to look at his <sighs> chances in Scotland with a team like Celtic uh, of being able to implement a system like that, and say, well, you know, it's not really a great barometer of, of success playing this type of football. You're now at Spurs who, you know, they're my team, but you would say are probably the f- f- fourth at uh, being kind, fifth team in the country right now at, at a stretch. Maybe you wouldn't have even called them that at the start of the season. You've got some real giants in the Premier League. Are you going to have success playing that way? But he's going to do or die you know and that's that's who he is and that's i guess what spurs wanted that's what they identified and that's what they feel that they need to be able to take that step up to you know to dare us to do it's supposed to be our motto right yeah so final question then jack uh going into the international break
2: um two points off the top of the table uh, a point behind liverpool and arsenal uh very much in the mix at the moment um can you stay there this season are you going to be are you going to be in the race come the end of the season
7: no, um, unfortunately not. I, I The the injuries, I mean, we don't know how long Van der Ven's going to be out for and we don't know how long Madison's going to be out for. We've we've gotten that dreaded, vague injury update of could be as much as three months, but both serious injuries. And, you know, this isn't... We've had Mano Solomon go out of a serious injury. We've had even Perisic go out of a serious injury. Bentancur's coming back from a serious injury. Those are almost sort of you could cope in a way but I think as you've seen so far this season already Van de Ven's been an absolute revelation he's allowed Tottenham to play this front-footed football with this extremely high line because of his physicality because of his physical attributes because of his pace because of his strength because of his defensive ability him missing is huge for Spurs Um it's, it's the same as really it's the inverse of taking Haaland out of your team you know and for with uh, with maddison i mean he's just been the creative fulcrum of the team he's been one of the leaders on the pitch and off the pitch an absolute revelation again um i mean I, i've sort of often said at parts this season i reckon city are probably have been cursing their luck a bit with what with your injury coming to Kevin De Bruyne or with him coming towards the end of his career that you maybe didn't swoop in and pick up a James Madison for the 30-40 mil that we got him for in summer because he's looked like he's really taken that step up since he's come to Spurs filled in Harry Kane's boots in a certain way Um, but with him out it's it's just it's too much for Spurs it's too much for us our squad depth isn't enough it's the it's the lack of quality that we have, and that's really come to the fore, as I was saying at the at the start of the pod, you know numbers tell half the story, and the other half of the story is that Tottenham squad simply isn't up to it. We don't have the quality and we said to be in the title race at the start of the season we could be if we keep this starting eleven fresh fit and firing because they are brilliant they are i i honestly would say they they could have maybe snuck a surprise I'm not saying they would have done but they could have done if the rest of you lot were distracted elsewhere but now not a chance not a hope for us I'm afraid top four would be brilliant for Spurs and you know that's potentially achievable but that's even going to be a real fight right now
1: you're listening to the blue moon podcast you've made it this far so don't give up now
2: that was a look at how Liverpool Arsenal and Tottenham fans are feeling right now, um Chris, going into this international break uh city are top of the table. How do you think they 've been so far this season i'm not I'm not sure if city are top because they 've been the best or in
4: spite of not being the best so far, and it kind of feels like there's more to come um yeah, I mean you'd hope that there's more to come um my feeling at the start of the season was not hugely positive given the the outgoings that we kind of suffered um, which definitely left us weaker I think than we were last season um, which I thought was only going to hinder us kind of retaining the title but when you look at the other teams have they made the step up to make them stronger than our now kind of weakened state and it's not really looking like anyone's strengthened to the extent that they're significantly better than us or possibly not even quite as good as us yet. I mean, obviously don't speak too soon. Arsenal are looking a lot stronger than they were. Um, Liverpool are always capable of a challenge and Tottenham look better than they have done in in years, but, but they're Tottenham. Um, So you kind of expect that to fizzle out quicker than uh, even any Arsenal challenge. I kind of feel like that at the moment as well, that we're still not as good as perhaps we should be, or we want to be, or we were, but, we're a little bit ahead in terms of quality um and kind of maturity and having the nows to see this out than than anyone else around us. So yeah.
2: do you feel like I'm, we're getting there though? Like 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 uh, like the, the, the curve is upwards for this season so far because the the dip seems to kind of the the dip seemed to knock us all for six a little bit when they lost to Wolves and, and then Arsenal. But ever since that last international break, Chelsea's the first um points they've dropped, and that was a that was a, a four all draw in a chaotic game.
4: They're fine, aren't they? Well so we back down to the glass half full. Glass half empty. What's it what's it full of? I, I mean, it's it's hard to say. You say we've only dropped points to Wolves, Arsenal and and Chelsea, but Chelsea and Arsenal are, you know, one of the one of the big boys. Two of the big boys. Uh Wolves, yeah, that is a blip. Uh, I don't know. It's too early to, it's too early to to call, really. You don't know how Chelsea are going to stack up after this. This might be a catalyst for them. Um, they've got a lot of quality. It's, if they've got a good manager, is that going to gel and them mount? And, and are they going to mount a significant challenge? Quite possibly. We need to um, get our get our best players back. If we can get Stones and De Bruyne, and you'd assume Aki's going to be back um, by around Christmas time, then that's really going to be a kind of a transformative um, couple of additions to the current playing staff we're able to select from. So if we get, if we get those players back and playing well, then I think we'll significantly be stronger than we are now and anyone else and everything should be pretty peachy. Yeah. Hunky dory. Um,
2: Dom, for, for obviously we talked about the injuries so far in this show as well. Um, People forget that Kevin De Bruyne has played, what, 20 minutes of this season? That's it. Um, there's, there's been a lot of change in city squad in the centre and midfield. And, you know, the styles kind of modified slightly. They, they haven't had stones. The dipping form, um, with Wolves and Arsenal coincided with losing Rodri. There's, there's all these mitigating factors. And I know Liverpool and Arsenal and Tottenham will have uh, their own concerns and their own improvements on, on last season. But it feels like, like city's leap to their best. Could like like City could go up another couple of levels when everything clicks, can't they?
3: Yeah, I mean, De Bruyne is an interesting one because I think you could definitely make a case that over the last five years he's been the best player in the world. Um, but it's to the credit of Guardiola and the players that whenever he's had these periods out of the team, they've not really seemed to miss him. I mean, obviously, you miss the sort of the particular things that only Kevin De Bruyne can do. Um, I think Haaland misses that quite a lot. Um, but... You think back to the domestic treble winning season in 18 19, he had a lot of time out there and it was just both of the Silvers and Fernandinho played. Then there was more recently when he had time out or then when he was having to sort of do a bit of donkey work as a false nine, Guardiola put Rodri and Gundian and Bernardo together. So, um, And and this time around, it's been Alvarez sort of taking on that role um, and Foden playing more centrally at times. So I think sometimes... You Don't give due credit to when City have got key players out, first of all, because obviously people will always talk about the money spent and the resources they have. But also, I think they are very, very good at covering for injuries. Mm. Um now I think we're gonna go on to talk about Rodri.
4: Can we? That
3: might that, that might be the, yeah, very good. That might be the area where they haven't really got a solution at the minute. Um, I was
2: going that that was that was going to be my uh kind of my my biggest worry is that um the dip in form coinciding with Rodri uh, being absent is obviously not a coincidence but at the same time I'm not sure what you can learn from that where like how you can how you can build without him because let's say worst comes to the worst he gets booked against Liverpool he will miss the Spurs game with
4: suspension
3: Yeah
2: um
3: well I mean there'll be a plan won't there and and
4: There'll be a plan by Liverpool to get him booked.
3: <laughs> um, and I don't think the plan will be what they tried at Arsenal to, to mitigate from not being there because yeah, it didn't really work. Um, I think of the players available. I, I mean, I, I wonder actually, if Stones is back fit, the next time Rodri's if Stones just actually plays there? Yeah. I think that might be something Guardiola thinks about... Um,
4: Seems to be the next best option. I mean, Nunez isn't the man.
3: Yeah, I think Nunez looks like one of those who could maybe play as a holding midfielder in a more sort of direct vertical team. But I think he's going to play for the Thornton the Guardiola team. I don't think he's got that sort of put his foot on it. And, you know, he's clearly a talented player with plenty about him. But yeah, I don't see Nunez playing there. Certainly not now or for a while. Obviously, we've talked about Calvin Phillips and that's apparently just not happening Kovacic is probably the best option there, but I think it would be a matter of getting people around Kovacic in a way they didn't at Wolves and Arsenal. Um, to, and if Stones is fit that he's there. Yeah, he's and and would, man yeah. Yeah, and, and then you, you you've got to include Rico Lewis in all this, I guess, who mm. in terms of the things Rodri does in terms, you know, like having a touch, being able to play three hundred and sixty degrees, he's Rico Lewis is just is just to the man of born with that.
4: Um, he's got the intelligence, hasn't he?
3: Yeah, but obviously last season, Kyle Walker wasn't a non-negotiable pick. Which you know, there's been various assurances given to keep Walker there, which apparently extends to absurd free kicks. Oh yeah, yeah don't, <laughs> I, f-
4: I was gonna. Oh my god! Good
3: heavens! Um, <laughs> but do you? Would one work around if Rodri isn't there again? Is Lewis plays and you have you you have like that like they did last season? You have a Kanji and Diaz and a Kanji shifts over and Lewis comes in because that's the other thing with people are saying oh, Walker's not been run ragged for a while like he was by Sterling well he was a bit by Matoma against Brighton the month before
5: mm. he's
3: played a lot of football there's going to come a time where Walker can't play every single game and so I'm looking forward to Rico Lewis playing there and doing what he you know, doing the things he did last season from that from that position so yeah there's options there but there's there's going to have to be a Roderick contingency plan because I think it's hard to see him getting through these next three games without a yellow card just because they won't be they surely won't be some as the weekend, but there'll be elements of the Chelsea game against all three of the coming opponents.
2: Yeah. Um let's let's talk quickly about the new signings as well, Chris, because um the, the shape of the team has changed. Um how do you feel they've they've bedded in? The the, the four headlines, uh, Kovacic, Gradiol, Doku,
4: and Nunes. Um what, what, what have you made of them so far? Well Kovacic is a bit of a two sided coin in that he started as if he'd never, you know, as if he'd been playing for us for for years, he just it was a seamless kind of transition into the team, and then he kind of just went a bit a bit nuts at Arsenal. I don't know if he was carrying an injury or or what, but or if he bumped his head or something. I don't know. <laughs> don't, just, don't uh, all
2: coins have two sides?
4: Yeah, but. I'm just—it's just—and it's an analogy, David. Don't don't do, don't do this to me. I'm not, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just thinking like like like
2: most coins have two sides that have opposites. Like
4: most coins um, are not
2: like double-headed or double. It's like tight. a
4: double-edged sword, isn't it? How can a sword have like one edge? I suppose a cutlass, but it's still got an edge. Just one of them sharp. Yeah.
3: This is I've that got. last time I
4: was on, and Adam referred to 3D chess, and you said, oh, it's yeah, that just chess." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who plays 2D chess? Yeah, the pieces got nicked. So I made these cardboard cutouts.
3: It's when they put it in, you know, like the, some of like the newspapers, they have like, I mean, I don't think anymore, but like chess, like how the chess is going. Like, yeah, this one's had to put them in,
4: like in broad cheeks. But yeah, Kovacic, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's uh, a bit of a three sided dice, isn't he? <laughs> in the you know, he came in, do, did really well, and then, Bottomed out a bit at Arsenal, and then uh, Chelsea mixed bag. So yeah, I think all overall positive for Kovacic. Doku, obviously, he's uh, done some amazing things. He's also shown that you know he's not kind of a man for all all seasons. He's he's good. He's a good kind of weapon to use in the right situation, but there's certain situations where you definitely want Grealish. There in his stead, so it's good to have them both uh, available. Guardiola, I think he's done well um, overall, done well, cut out the individual errors. Uh, in terms of City traditionally being a system that it can take a little while to fit into, probably less difficult for a defender to be fair, but overall, I'm really pleased with him. Nunez probably. Um, Although he's shown that he's a touch of class, he's obviously a very tidy footballer and, and he's got some skill to him. Out of the four, I think probably he's the one I've been least impressed with.
2: Yeah, quite, the, quietest start,
4: yeah. Yeah, not just that, but it's because, um, and I've, I referenced this a couple of pods ago, weeks ago, uh, in the there was an interview that I read by him where he was saying that he's someone who prefers to pass the ball and make an assist um, than shoot. He's been asked before, well, why don't you shoot? And why don't you shoot all the time? You don't shoot enough. And I've seen more than one occasion where I've not wanted him to shoot, and he has. And I've thought, I'm going to minute. You liar! What, what <laughs> you? <laughs> you've you've insisted that you're this assist merchant, and you keep shooting when you should pass. So yeah, Jory's still out on him for me a bit. He's, um, his his decision making has been. For my mind, not not quite um, what I want to see, yeah. but I'm sure he's not that bothered about what I think.
2: Yeah, well, you never know. You never know.
4: Um, avid listener, I believe
2: to the uh, to the podcast. Um, well,
4: pass the ball. <laughs>
2: Um, Dom, from the, the teams that we've heard from there, Liverpool, uh, Arsenal and Spurs, uh, who do you think's most in a position to to really challenge City for the title this season? Assuming two things there. One, that City will be in the title challenge come the end of the season. And two, that Villa, even though they're three points off the top, I'm going to assume that they're not going to remain in the race.
3: Yeah, it feels like a toss of your everyday conventional coin to say Arsenal, Liverpool. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I think Arsenal, look, I've been impressed by how they've kind of got on from last season. I think it would have been quite easy for them. I thought their title race reminded me most of when um, Brendan Rodgers' Liverpool ran City close in 2014 and then they sort of fell off a cliff the year after. Obviously, Arteta didn't go out and sign Balotelli or any mad shite like that, but it's been impressive how they've carried on and sort of maybe that they, I think as, um, as Kesh was saying, they they look a bit more controlled um which i think is important for them because i think there were times they got too emotional during the running um at the same time you do have to ask where have they improved it's like gabriel jesus we all know for all his qualities is not going to be a twenty twenty five goals gold season guy for reasons of fitness and composure um rice has been a very good signing Havertz, i don't understand at all um and
4: He's, he looks depressed, Havertz. He looks like he's lost his love of life. Too much apple yeah, pie,
3: perhaps.
4: Yeah, he, he reminds me of, there's
3: a, there's a little bit of, you know, Wendell, the kid who's always sick in The Simpsons. A <laughs> bit, bit of him about
7: him,
4: really. Yeah, yeah, just got this sort of kind of hollowed-out complexion. He just looks really kind of, uh, you know, a bit miffed. <laughs> Imagine letting Wendell score the
3: Champions League final winner against you. But oh, anyway, God, yeah. and then
4: there's there's the um, the goalkeeper situation
3: there, which... Um, Very weird, uh, isn't it? Yeah, and it's handy for Arteta that Aaron Ramsdale's dad likes doing interviews, as we've seen this week. So that that sort of seems to have created a problem that wasn't really there. All that said, they've lost one game um, in sort of slightly mad circumstances at Newcastle. So, yeah, they, they look really... So- they look solid, but I'm not sure how much improvement there is there. With Liverpool, I think there's, I think they've got clanging performances in them because the midfield, the new midfield with Soversly and McAllister in looks great, but it's like, who, act- who actually is playing the holder there? I mean, McAllister's kind of doing it. So you, you think a team like that you could get at them in certain games, but I just think with Liverpool, I think you've got the five or six years of the Klopp versus Guardiola thing, and if you know one thing, it's like, if there's any coach who's gonna find something extra within a squad, it's Klopp, and they do look re- they look ready to to go again in um, in the words of one of their favorite fa- their favorite sons. So yeah, I think I've taught myself to it, saying it's Liverpool.
4: Okay, did well, you see well, that Luton game?
3: Yeah, oh, they were Bob. Yeah, uh, but, but mind you, the, the best thing about that Luton game is. Darwin Nunes looking like Kennel Road was just too small for all his chaotic energy. Like, <laughs> every shot he had looked like it was either going to knock a stand down or clear it.
4: <laughs> yeah. he's uh, yeah. a bit of a shoebox, isn't it? Um, but you take, talk about Rice there. I think he's a bit of a, an underrated signing for them. I think he's ca- quite capable of taking them onto a a better level in, t- in terms of, like, game control and perhaps the lack of yeah. Rodri plan that we have is in no small part due to our failure to to sign Rice. Yeah. You could see why they wanted him, couldn't you? Yeah.
2: Yeah um let's finish by squeezing in a quick listener question because i love this one and uh, i wanted to make time for it so uh, get in touch for next week on twitter at blue moon podcast you can email through the website as well bloomingpodcast.com that's what henry's done um i've tidied this question up because uh, he's at pains to he, he spent so long in this email at pains to point out that he doesn't see guardiola losing the dressing room or going anywhere so here's where we're going with this he says, "With UK politics going a bit mad this week, I wondered which former city manager should Guardiola bring back into a coaching role to try and save himself if things ever turned bad for him and his leadership was going down the pan." Um, over to you, guys. Any any uh, thoughts on previous managers that could help uh, Guardiola out, Dom?
3: I mean, to be topical, it's kind of a shame that Liz us trust and get brought back in cabinet. We'd just say Steve Coppell for the length. That's <laughs> what no, so I was going to say. <laughs> 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 Great minds. Um, uh, well, I mean, I, I, I think the one I'd say, if you, again, for parallels, if you're looking at a guy who had some success, uh, likes a navy blue suit, but by the time he left, everyone in the building kind of hated him. Uh, it's probably Mancini, isn't it? and yeah. uh, you know, the, the, him and Pep could sit down and rewatch the 1991 European Cup final, and yeah, I, th- I think I think that would be be the best bet.
4: In a serious, in an attempt to sort of think of a serious answer. Who would compliment Pep pretty, pretty well? Um, can we have Mikel Arteta? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, uh, I've just Googled. Um, Liz Truss was uh, Prime Minister for 12 days longer than Steve Koppel was City Manager.
4: I heard that if she lives till she's 90, she will end up spending more days at the Cenotaph than she did in office as <laughs> uh, Prime Minister.
3: The amazing thing about her is there was like a good week or so when the Queen died, where she like literally wasn't allowed to do anything, so I mean she she could have been quicker than Coppel if she'd just been in normal service. Like, <laughs> like, that's it. It's a, it's a short premiership within within was like right for ten days you don't touch anything, uh, and yeah. Who and who
2: gets-
4: achieved more in their reign, Steve Coppel at City or Liz Truss as PM? It's undoubtedly Steve Coppel, <laughs> um, and he was an absolute nightmare. But, yeah, I mean, maybe we just need Fabian Delph as some sort of minister for common sense. Back <laughs> to basics. Um, right, well, if you've got any uh, more insane questions
2: for us for the end of the show, do get in touch because I do like that sort of stuff. Uh, but that's it for this week's Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks also to my guests, Chris Higginbottom.
4: Thank you very much for having me.
2: And Don Farrell. Thanks, mate. Pleasure. It's Liverpool up next after the international break, so we'll be back to preview that one next week. Stay tuned for a clip of this week's Patreon show too. See you in seven days' time.
1: That was the Blue Moon podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's.
8: I really, really enjoyed KC and Bob stand behind us and something Tiggy and Gaz is beside me. So the crack with those lads is just absolutely unreal all the time. But there was one time last season where there must have been a bit of a foul smell. KC tapped me on the shoulder and said, Have you shit? (laughs) Uh, and, And I looked around and was like, no, it wasn't me. And meanwhile, whilst I look round to say that to him, uh, City scored. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, and it was the the, the uh, game ended up one 0 Sterling scored, and I missed the only goal. Um, Excellent. Trying to trying to show and confirm that it wasn't me who had farted. <laughs> um, so we had a good giggle over that. But yeah, just just. Talking shite uh, quite literally and uh, having a giggle about it, it just adds to the whole match day experience, really.
2: So, you say quite literally. Did
8: you get to the bottom of who it was? No, probably going by the um, the age old rule of he who smelt it dealt it. <laughs> um, I, I'm KC. Put this on KC, yeah.
1: <laughs> you can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And join us again next time for another episode.